Beautiful. All right. Welcome back, people. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, I feel like we covered Hex uh, a few weeks ago, Dave, but I thought it was we got some new information or some new stats about uh, Hex debt and things that I thought that hopefully listeners could learn more about Hex debt if it's something they didn't know about or were a bit misinformed. So every uh, financial year beginning, so the 1st of June, uh, your Hex debt gets indexed. The indexation amount is based on inflation for that year. So at June 1st of uh, this year, more than 3 million Aussies are going to be hit with a 7% indexation on existing student loans. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that impacts the way you uh, apply for a mortgage. So Hex Debt is an interest-free student loan, but each year it's applied with indexation. The past 10 years, indexations hovered around 2 to 3%, so it hasn't been a huge jump in in the loan balance that your, your student loan's yeah. on. But for example, if you're on a $50,000 loan from Hex Debt, you'll be hit with, with an additional $3,500 that will just be added automatically as of June 1st to your Hex Debt that you pay off while you've got a job. So... The Australian Taxation Office revealed the total debt shared by more than 3 million Aussies for hex debts for education debt has reached $74.3 billion in, in student loans. Yeah. The Future the future Investment Group research had uh, basically figured out the average student loan in Australia is $22,000. That figure has jumped 10% in the past two years. So I'm not sure if that's a figure based on like the average, the average cost of a university degree is 22 grand or if it's just that's the average debt of all the people that have still got student loans that are out in the workforce. I'm not exactly sure how they calculated that figure. According to this group as well, the average time to fully repay a hex debt sits around nine and a half years. In the last two or three years, that's gone. That's actually increased from 7.5 years. So it's added two years to the, the average time to fully repay the debt. So I guess two questions for you, Dave. Yep. Do you think people that are younger might be choosing at the moment to not go to uni because they're aware of how it's going to affect their ability to buy a house later in life? And if you're a home loan applicant, what consideration should you make uh, regarding paying down your hex debt before you apply for a loan because of how it affects the amount of money you can borrow? Yeah. Look, first question, I don't think people take into account you know, when they're making their career choice or whether it's, you know, a trade or just going straight into a job or going to uni. I don't think help debt is really a consideration for them um, and, you know, what impact it might have down the line. It's a bit like car loans. You know, people get a job, they get a, you know, they want, they want to get a nice car because they've never had one. Um, they sign up to a car loan and then, you know, a year or two later they want to apply for a home loan and realise that it's impacting their borrowing capacity. So, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think that's a consideration. But the thing we're seeing with help debt, like as we've talked about before on the podcast, what uh, banks look at is a thing called your net um, uncommitted monthly income. So they look at um, the income you earn, so, you know, salary and wages, bonuses, allowances, right. all that sort of thing. You know, rent you might get, interest you might get, that sort of thing. And then they look at, you know, what, what commitments do you have? Yeah, your living expenses, of course, but also things like credit cards, car loans, personal loans, and help, help debt. So, yeah, the more you earn, the more help debt you have to repay so it reduces your borrowing capacity. So, 
in the end, it's a bit of a juggling act. People have, you know, we had a client earlier this week from Canberra who approached us and, you know, I just said to said to the, the chap, you know, your borrowing capacity is around 480 um, with your help debt. Without your help debt, your borrowing capacity is about 560. So, you know, it's about an 80 grand difference. But the issue then is if he's got the money to pay the help debt out, but then that reduces the deposit he has. So it's a bit of a juggling act. So, look, before you make any decision, chat to your bank or a broker about, you know, okay, if we pay help debt off, how does it look? If we keep help debt, how does it look? And, you know, for, for parents who might be listening, um, it might be where the gift you give is to pay pay your, your son or daughter's help debt out because um, when things have been indexed at 6 or 7%, yeah, you know, there'll be as you know the figures you had there, Damo, that you know, a fifty k loan, you might have ten percent of your pay of a hundred grand paying down the loan, which is you know ten grand coming off the loan, ten percent of a hundred grand. Um, but your debt's gone up three and a half, so you've gone you've gone down ten, but back up three and a half. So yeah, it's just a juggling act. But um, yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. How much was uni when you went? Yeah, well, the thing is. A lot of a lot of people around the mid seventies to probably mid nineties, educa- um, uni education was free. You just paid, you, you just paid your living costs and textbooks and that sort of stuff, because that was bought in by the Whitlam government in I think the early to mid seventies. So um, yeah, there is a bit of a call for uni to be free again. You know, the government subsidises uni quite a lot and. Allegedly, from what I've read, about half of the cost of a uni edu- like help debt covers about half the cost of a uni education. The other half is funded by the taxpayer, including people who don't go to uni. So it's one of those things. People that go to uni generally earn more money over the course of their life. So um, yeah, that's that's how how it works out. Yeah, I'd wonder. I'd love to hear someone. I'll have to try find someone to explain that, like the economic. There was obviously some, there has to have been some economic benefits to uni being free back in back in the day. Does it free up people's spendings because they're not like if you don't have to pay off a hex debt, does that flow on into more positive benefits for the economy down the line? Like, uh, uh, yeah, it's hard to know. Plus, uni seem to make a ton of money from foreign exchange students, which is um, an interesting thing together too. AMP is another bank. They do a bunch of investing stuff and they used to have a financial planning arm as far as I'm aware, Dad, but I don't think they do it anymore. The economist from AMP, the head economist, is a guy called Shane Oliver who provides a lot of updates and thought pieces, I guess, about uh, where the economy is going and how the RBA is is, um, performing. Um, He fears that the RBA should have paused a little bit basically from this article about – in their cash rate rises, he was sort of thinking that in the past when rates have gone up from the Reserve Bank, they might raise rates for a few months and then pause for two to three months to allow the effect of those rate rises to actually be seen in the economy because even the RBA Governor Philip Lowe has acknowledged that there's a lagging effect to all of the rate rises that they enact um, he worries that by jacking up rates so rapidly, they run the risk of tipping the economy into recession. That's Shane Oliver's yeah. direct quote. So he explains yeah. how the RBA sort of affects the economy. He says that the RBA wants lower house prices because it produces a negative wealth effect. 
as someone mm-hmm. that owns their own home, sees the the price of their house drop, they feel poorer, so they'll spend less money. I don't really understand how that works, to be honest, but it's obviously uh, the RBA rate rises is a tool they use to try and get people to spend less money to lower inflation on the demand side. So yeah, yeah, I just wonder like, is the idea that if enough people spend way less money because their mortgage costs a lot more, will is the economy expected to just slow down a ton, which is sort of to bring down inflation? Is that sort of what they're aiming for? Yeah, look, look, basically, um, you know, when when house prices are going up, people feel wealthy. So when you feel wealthy, you you spend money. You know, you go, okay, I'll go on that holiday, I'll buy that new car, or update the car, I'll do some renovations. You know, you'll you'll spend money, and when you spend money, you know, business earns income, so they can employ more people, and there's more money flushing around. Yeah, but <clears throat> you know, during COVID, we had a lot of money flushing around, but it was all borrowed money. Or printed money, and now, yeah, the the debt, um, you know, the interest repayments on that debt are really high. Um, you know, Shane Oliver's view is that they've probably, you know, inflation is trimming back, so maybe the RBA should pause a bit longer. But there's a few. Uh, they released the RBA board minutes yesterday, and yeah, the RBA is basically hinting in there that they may have to rise rates one or two more times because inflation's still stubbornly high. So um, you know, what happens is as interest rates go up, people with a mortgage have less money to spend on other things. Um, if you've got if 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 you know a couple of million people have less money to spend on things, that's that's gonna hopefully reduce prices which will reduce inflation so you now the rba has said a few times they're not concerned about house prices but as um dr oliver points out shane oliver when interest rates go up house prices do normally soften so um yeah just be interesting to see how it goes but yeah generally the um you know the minutes of the board meeting are basically suggesting that rates might go up one or two more times. But mm. nearly all the banks agree that from next year, rates will start tumbling down once inflation's under control because it's around the six high sixes at the moment and the bank, the Reserve Bank, likes it between 2 and 3%. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to see how that one plays out. There's a couple you wanted to cover, like the rates update. Obviously, there's a bunch of banks yeah. that are raising or reducing yeah, so, rates. and Yeah, so um, interestingly... Um, yeah, we know the RBA put up interest rates two weeks ago and most of the banks have passed those rate increases on by now, the 0.25. But um, this week, ING and ME Bank tweaked their rates up a little bit more. I think ME Bank was about 0.09 and um, ING by 0.1. Um, Adelaide Bank, rather than go up 0.25 after the rate rise from the RBA, went up 0.3. So... Yeah, banks are yeah, starting to pass on rate rises outside of the RBA rate rises. And we talked about last week about Combank and um, NAB. They're stopping their refinance cashbacks from, I think it's the end of May for Combank and Bank West because um, you know, Bank West is owned by Combank and the end of June for NAB. So, um, yeah, there's still plenty of banks paying cashbacks because that's where they prefer to spend their marketing dollars. But... Yeah, it's just a lot happening, and um, you need to, yeah, you need to keep or keep on top of and aware of what your interest rate is, because you know you, you know, we'll see people who come to us and they, you know, they might be on six and a half percent when they could be on a percent less. So that's just something to look at. 
Yeah. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to mention, just some analysis by InvestorKit. Um, if you're looking for some good property info, InvestorKit, Propertyology, Ripe House Advisory, PK Gupta, you know, Terry Ryder, all those, all those guys, um, results mentoring, have some really good free info that you can tap into. And um, the Arjun and the team at Investigate just talked about how the Australia's property downturn is not over because it never actually existed. And there's an old saying that at any time, anywhere in Australia, the, the property market is growing somewhere. You've just got to find where that is. And they, they talked about where, say, on the northern beaches of Sydney around Manly and Warringah may have dropped um, 11-ish percent from May 22 to Feb 2023. Armidale, you know, in the New England area of New South Wales, went up 16.7%. Bundaberg up 15.7%. And Shepparton in Victoria up 9.6%. So if you bought into those areas, and those areas are, are areas that the buyer's agents we mentioned, Arjun, Ripe House, Propertyology, they've been talking about those areas for quite a while. Yeah. So if you did buy there, you would have made money. So, um, you know, the property market down there, you'll see all this stuff in the paper and on the TV and on Facebook and everything about how their market's crashing and that sort of stuff. You know, the majority of houses are in Sydney and Melbourne and the majority of Australians live there. So, you know, when, when the property market corrects or softens in Sydney and Melbourne, yeah, they'll promote the fact that the market is softening everywhere and it's not. So just just be aware of that. And it, it's it's just a, a thing of if you're a property investor, um, you know, you don't have to buy a property where you live. You can buy a property elsewhere. So um, yeah. in like the budget was last Tuesday and then last Thursday the opposition um, had their budget reply speech and they just reaffirmed their pledge to allow people to use super um, if they got into power, and that's around, you know, if people people may not have a deposit, but they might have 150 grand in super. So um, if you're looking for a house in your 30s, having 150 grand in super that you can access when you're 65, yeah, that's great. But you want a house now, so you know the the opposition has just reaffirmed their policy on that one. Um, refinancing, we're getting a lot of refinancing. Um, yeah, it's at, it's at record highs. It's about twenty, just over twenty percent higher than last year. The uh, the level of refinancing, and that's mainly because we've got we've got people more aware of their interest rate. Banks continue to give good deals to new customers. So if you're a new customer, you're kicking with the wind. Um, a lot of banks still do have refinance cashbacks. Um, we've got people coming off fixed rate loans who are not really being looked after by their bank. So. Um, that's um that's sort of pushing a lot of people to inquire about refinancing and you know people might want some extra cash to do renovations or that, all that sort of stuff and the only other last one I had demo was around um, housing supply and just some analysis by the Reserve Bank and this is something we've talked about before that whereas we've got a lot of migrants coming into the country who basically need somewhere to live and there's not enough houses for the people we already have. Um, their, their analysis is around the reduction in the size of a household. So you might have had four people sharing a house 
as a rental. Um, COVID hits, they've all got to work from home. So rather than just seeing each other for two or three hours a day, they're all got to work from home. They've got to sit in their sit, you know, sit on their beds and do Zoom calls. They can't all share the the dining table. You know, someone's talking or trying to cook or sleep or whatever. So you might have had two people decide they're going to move out from that house. So whereas you had four people in a house, you now have four people in two houses yeah. because they need another you know, place to buy or rent. And um, they're saying that every 1% decline in the average household size um, creates demand for an, an additional 120,000 households. So well, we've had a lot of... Um, a lot of supply taken out of the market by reduction in household size. You know, there's more migrants coming, um, people are upsizing and downsizing and, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, that's that's one of the things that the RBA has, um, has the RBA um, made count, people aware of. Do the RBA count as a regulatory body or a government body or what? Probably more regulative yeah. regulatory body. They're, they're yeah. independent of government. So, you know, the... Um, yeah. They the the government tries to influence, yeah, you know, the RBA, but the yeah. RBA is independent. So they look at their stats and yeah, you know, their mantra is you know, trying to trying to create foolish employment and um, you know, inflation in the target band of two to three percent. So um, mm. yeah, you'll you'll often see you know the um, yeah, you know, different governments that ministers might sort of try to influence the RBA, but um, yeah, don't, they don't usually have much luck at that. Basically, then, so what are we what are we going to call them then, Dave? A regulatory sort of? Well, I'd say that yeah, more of a regulatory. Okay, so body, basically, yeah. the economists from one regulation body, let's say, are making sure that another regulatory uh, body, APRA, take no blame whatsoever for their their part of this. Like the yeah. housing crisis is because we, the people, have decided we want to live in. We don't want as many people in our homes, and it's not anything to do with lending restrictions for the past six, seven years. You know what I mean? It's got nothing to do with restricting investors, getting involved to make sure there's more rentals in the market. It's only our fault. So that's great. I think that's uh, dead on the money. Yeah, no, that's fine. Look, it's, it's one of those things that there's there's lots of moving parts. The thing that everyone agrees on is that there's lack of supply and, you know, you've got the federal government, um, opening up the borders to my to migrants, and we're getting a lot of lot of migrants and students coming in. You've got state governments that are trying to rezone land, you know, for building, and they're trying to sort of have what's the word? Not parameters, but like um, you know, for for every hundred new homes in a area, thirty have got to be social or affordable housing. So you've got the state government trying to do that. And then when it comes to like building approvals, a lot of that is managed through councils, which yeah, just seem to take an age. So um yeah, it's all um it's all a bit of a mishmash. Yeah, it's all a bit forked. Well, that all being said, if people want to get in touch with us to learn about the home loan side of things, which is what our business does, go to moneysaverhomeloans.com.au. You can check us out there. Uh, we got a Facebook page, Money Saver Home Loans. If you find that there, we got a little bit of content that we put out on that. As always, we put the links to the Instagrams for both the podcast and the business in the show notes. Definitely check out the last 
podcast that we put out on Monday with Jordan de Jong. He's living up in the Gold Coast. He is a property investor plus data scientist. Super nice guy that I used to hang out with quite a bit when he was in Melbourne and so was I, chatting about how he invests and his portfolio as well as sort of what he's getting up to in the AI space going forward. Uh, and next week, there's a pod part a podcast, a podcast coming out with a guy called And Anton Harrison Kern. We used to train jujitsu together for quite a while, but he is also a pretty avid crypto investor. He got into Bitcoin when it was seventy-seven dollars a Bitcoin, Dave. So oh, he's wow, got that's a good. pretty yeah, he's got a pretty interesting life story. So that's a pretty good podcast that should come out next week. And he's a pretty interesting guy who's um in the business of running businesses and buying businesses and selling businesses. So this is a pretty good chat. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, uh, that'll come out <laughs> next Monday. So Damon, the one you did with uh, Jess and Jacob from uh, Connect Through Property was very good. They just talked about their story of um, yeah, living in Sydney, can't afford to to buy in Sydney and um, yeah, probably it's not where they want to be long term. So yeah, what they did and about you know, following their path and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, buying a couple of properties, they've got four, and um, you know, ones with good yields and growth potential, and you know, none of the properties they bought are in Sydney. So that was that was interesting. Um, just one other thing I was going to mention, and we'll probably cover this next week, is um, government's five percent deposit scheme. There's quite a few spots still available on that. So, you know, if people have five percent deposit, you know, you do have to buy a place to live in. That you've got to live in for um around six to 12 months. But, um, yeah, it's always, you know, if, you, if you've got, you know, if you're looking to, you, know, you can buy a place around the six, 700 grand mark with, you know, 5% deposit plus legal costs. So, you know, that's still not a bad thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Well, yeah, so until next time, people, have a good week and we'll talk to you next Thursday.